All right, well, I am again excited to be with you here this morning, and this morning I thought that um, we would start off a little bit differently. Our church was challenged uh, in our new sermon uh, series. Last week we were challenged through a prayer guide and through a reading guide this week to find solitude with God uh, every day this week. And I've heard from some of you, uh, as we met earlier on in missional community and uh, in our groups, that, uh, that you were taking this to heart, that you were practicing this and applying this. And um, what I wanted to do this morning and what we will continue to do over the next seven weeks or six weeks now um, is we want to give you time uh, within this time uh, to find solitude in God and to find time where you can just be alone with the Lord um, sometimes in church, what happens is, and maybe if you've been going to church any extended period of time in your life, you notice that um, there's generally a couple prayers during the service, and those prayers are usually like transition time so that the band can get off the stage, so that the pastor can get up on stage, or so that you don't see awkward transitions where the pastor pulls uh, the music stand off the hinge like I just did while your eyes were closed just a few minutes ago, but you didn't see it because your eyes were closed and you were praying. Um, but what we want to do uh, over the next six weeks is we just want to give you an opportunity just where you are to sit alone with God and reflect maybe on your week. Uh, this week you were challenged to find times with God where it was just you and Him. and um, I just want to do that right now. So just where you are, we're going to take just about a minute um, for you to be alone with the Lord, maybe ask Him, God, what were you trying to say to me this week? Um, maybe if He highlighted one area of your life that He needed to change or that He wants to change in your life. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that right where you are. So um, just take just a minute to do that. Father, as we come to you this morning, and <clears throat> Lord, I believe that Silence is truly one of the hardest things to find in our culture today. Solitude before you, quieting our souls, quieting our minds before you, is truly one of the hardest things to find in 2019. Uh, my generation in particular, Lord, we're scared to death of a quiet moment. We're scared to death of a moment where our phones and are not in front of our faces, scared to death of not having music in the background or TV noise in the background. Lord, in here in this moment and in this series, God, I, I believe that what you're trying to do, Lord, for all of us is you're, you're bringing us back to that old, old way of, of bringing yourself before us to quiet our souls, to highlight areas of our life that you desperately want to change, to highlight areas of our life that are completely unhealthy, to highlight areas of our life that we have not given over to you, Lord, would you continue to show us that this morning and speak to us in prayer, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started a brand new series going through Moses, and we said that you know we're not necessarily going through the book of Exodus, but we are doing that together during the week. So if you don't have a prayer guide, you can see it on our Facebook page or on our website. We have a physical copy for you. We want you to be a part of this. Listen, I want to stress this again. 
Like, we really want you to be a part of what we're doing Monday through Friday, where we're actually reading through the book of Exodus together as a church, where we're praying specific things together as a church, quieting our souls before the Lord. And so we've just been uh, just kind of looking at Moses. We looked at his life last week, and if you know much about Moses, you know that it doesn't necessarily start with Moses, but the story starts with a group of people called the Hebrews. And it starts with a group of people called the Hebrews, God's chosen people. We see that all throughout the book of Genesis where God is starting to begin this process of redeeming the world by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And He starts with a group of people called the Hebrews who eventually become the Israelites. But they are captives, right? They're slaves. They're enslaved to another group of people called the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are ruled by Pharaoh. And it says that Pharaoh looks out over the crowd of the Hebrews, of the uh, Israelite people, and he says, they are far too many. They will one day overpower us. They will throw us out. They will side with all of our allies. They will kill us. They will throw us out of our rule and our reign. So what we need to do is we need to start killing all the, all the, baby, all the male babies that are born. We need to kill them. We need to put them to death. We have them enslaved. We need to put the male babies to death. And so there's this lady who doesn't obviously want to have her baby killed. This baby's named Moses, and so she puts Moses in a basket and sends him floating down the river, and just hopefully that he will survive and kind of follows him to see what's happening there. And it just so happens that an Egyptian woman finds the basket that's floating down the river, and it happens to be the daughter of Pharaoh. She picks up the basket, brings him home, says, I, can I keep him? Can I keep him? Can I? And so she eventually raises this baby, sends him back to the Hebrews so that he could be nursed by his mother. And so here is this baby boy named Moses who grows up not really having any family at all. Knows that he's a Hebrew, lives with the Egyptians. He spends his weekends on the south side, spends his weekdays on the north side. Like he's learning two different languages, eating two different types of food. Like he's just living a double life here. This is what's happening to Moses. And we saw this last week that because of this, this builds up uh, just an anger and a rage in Moses' heart and in his life. He's an angry little fellow. Like he's angry. And it says that one day while Moses is out looking among his people, looking among the Hebrews, it says that he sees a Hebrew that's being mistreated by an Egyptian. And because of this anger, because of this rage that's in his heart, that's in his life, he takes and he kills the Egyptian. And while nobody's looking, he hides the body of the Egyptian. And what was living inside of him, what was something that was secret, is now put on full display for everybody to see. And Pharaoh eventually catches wind about this murder. And he says, that obviously, this is, this is his grandson here. This is Moses like grandfather, he's not going to tolerate this. He sends a group. We've got to find Moses. And so Moses, he flees, right? Moses takes off. He flees the scene. And it says that he eventually sits down at a well. And Moses sits down at a well. And we said last week that a well is not what you or I would know about a well today. You know, we usually talk about wells like, y'all got city water, y'all got well water. That's not exactly what was happening here. This is a place of sustainment. This is where they found water. This is where they would live. They put names on the wells, for goodness sake. 
And this is where they would go and gather water so that they could live, so that they could survive. It also has another meaning that, that well means it, it's about the soul, right? It's about the well-being of one's life and of one's heart, of one's soul. It meant something totally different in this day and in this age. It was a symbol of life, kind of at the water. And it's here where Moses sits down at this well and he does business with God. And God's revealing things to him. And I'm sure that at the well, Moses is asking questions like, why? God, why? Why did it have to be this way? Why did I have to grow up with two families, with two moms, with two dads, two different sets of families? Why did I have to grow up this way? And he's doing business with the Lord. Have you ever asked God, why? Why did it have to be this way? Why is life so hard? Why do I have so much anxiety? Why is my family situation this way? Why did that happen? Why did that not happen? Here, I'm sure that Moses is asking these very questions. He's forced to remember his life experiences, forced to remember those moments and those times that shaped him into who he was. And that's where we're going to pick up. If you have your Bibles... Turn with me to the book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. Exodus 2, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our Connect table, and that's free of charge for you. We're not going to charge you for that. It's a totally free Bible for you, but the Word should be up on the screen. Exodus 2, starting in verse 11. When you're there, say, I'm there. Wow, that was the most unanimous it's ever been. Wow, that's awesome. Other wor- words are just probably up on the screen. You're like, um. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. We're going to give you a little bit of context. He looked this way and that way and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? So his own people are kind of turning on him a little bit. Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and he stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to him and they drew water and or they came and they drew water and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock now the shepherds came and they drove them away but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock and when they came home to their father Raul he said how is it that you have come home so soon today and they said an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and drew water even even drew water for us and he watered the flock and he said to his daughters then where is he why have you left the man call him that he may eat bread i wonder if that bread was from Publix. we have plenty of it outside and moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave moses his daughter zipporah and she gave birth to a son and he called his name gershom for he said i have been a sojourner in a foreign land. 
During those days, uh, many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So Moses kills a man. He's on the run. And he sits down by this well. This is where God's doing business with him. It's at the well where God deals with Moses. It's here in solitude where God deals with him. It's in solitude. It's in quiet. It's in a quiet space where there's nobody else around, where there's nothing happening. And God's dealing with him a little bit, and God's getting ready to show Moses a little bit. He's showing him who he is versus who God has called him or who God has made him to be. God is showing him the difference between who he actually is and who God has made him to be. And God is showing him, and God is getting ready to say, and if you could just see it there for just a second, God hears the people of Israel, God hears their groaning, God hears their cries, He remembers His promise that He made to all their forefathers, God hears that, and God's got a plan, and God's plan starts with doing something in Moses. That's good. God hears, He remembers. But before God hears and remembers, it says that he does business with Moses. You see, Moses is getting ready to lead a people out of slavery and into freedom. But before Moses could do that, he needed to be led out of his own personal bondage and his own personal slavery and into freedom. Moses dealt a lot with rage. He dealt a lot with anger. He needed to be freed from that. He needed to be freed of this identity problem that he had, not knowing where he belonged, not knowing who he was, not knowing where his family was, not knowing where his heritage resided. So God had to free him of that before he could free the Israelites out of their own physical slavery. And here's the point. This is where Moses' story intersects with your story. Where Moses' story intersects with my story, this is where the stories intersect. You see, because every single one of us, we have a history, something that happened long ago that's playing into our now, into our current lives. Just like Moses is dealing with anger about his whole life situation, you've got something from your past that's playing into your now. You've got something that happened a long time ago. I've got something that happened... Maybe it wasn't a long time ago, maybe it was a year ago. Something that happened that is playing into your life now, and maybe it's something that you're hiding, maybe it's something that everybody knows, maybe it's something that you've never told anybody that you think is a secret. But here's what happens. Whenever we we hide the truth, whenever we hide those things that happen to us, whenever we don't confess it to somebody else, whatever it is, whether it's a sin whether it's something, something that happened to you, something that didn't happen to you, maybe you were neglected, whenever we fail to bring those things to the light, we keep it in the dark and it has power over us. It has power over us. Rage and anger had power over Moses. It had power over him. And listen, um, here's the thing is that you might just be living a lie. You know what I mean? 
or you put on a disguise and you act like everything's okay. Everything's fine. But deep down, you're wounded. And you see things that keep popping up in your life, things that just keep happening. We don't know why, but you know why. Because you haven't dealt with something that happened a long, long time ago. Maybe you were pushed to be the best growing up or you were pushed to levels that just weren't healthy. Pushed to succeed and now you're pushing yourself to levels that just aren't healthy. Maybe you were taught at a young age that you were valued because of what you do, because of your success in life. Maybe you were taught that you, your worth is found in what you do, your worth and how much you are loved is found in just how much you succeed. And that's a lie. And now today, maybe you're not succeeding and you look at your life as a failure. Maybe you were pushed to levels that just weren't healthy and at a young age and now you see yourself through the lens of what You were taught growing up. Maybe you didn't have a ton growing up. Maybe you grew up where you just didn't have a lot. Maybe you weren't necessarily poor, but maybe you were broke a little bit, you know, broke from time to time. And maybe now, because you grew up broke or grew up poor, you try to prove yourself through materialism, try to prove yourself through success, try to prove yourself through what you have in the bank account. Maybe you didn't grow up with a lot growing up and and now you tend to hoard things you tend to hold things with a closed grip you tend to be stingy and tight with what you have now maybe maybe you were hurt by someone in the past maybe you were hurt by someone in the past and so today you don't trust people we see this in the church all the time i was hurt by somebody 20 years ago and i will never trust anybody inside the church again Old wounds prevent us from making new relationships. Old wounds prevent us from making new friends. You see, a lot of us live by this code in the church life. We live by this motto, fool me once and I'll never have another friend in my life. We live by that. You see, it's not just in the church, but it's in family life also. It's in family life. It's in friendships. They did something to me 20 years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago, and I will never put myself out there again so that you can know my dirty laundry. I will never put myself out there again so that I can trust you because I just have this feeling that you're going to let me down eventually. And so something that happened in the past is controlling our present, controlling our today. There's an author by the name of Ruth Haley Barton. No relation that I know of, but I will claim her. She can be a cousin, I don't care. Better than some of the other cousins I have. But she has in this book called uh, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, she talks about this former president, Bill Clinton. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but this former president, Bill Clinton, and it's pretty widely known that Bill Clinton grew up in an abusive household with an uh, alcoholic stepfather. He grew up in that household with, with just chaos, animosity constantly, and it kind of forced Bill Clinton to, to be the father of the house, right? He had to take care of his mom, take care of his siblings. But here's the thing that happened, that whenever Bill Clinton got a little bit older and all of us, you know, everybody started to ask him about his history, ask him about his past, you know what Bill Clinton said? He said, everything was fine. I had a normal childhood. It was completely normal. No big deal, right? And so what happened was, former president was putting on this disguise, acting like everything was okay, acting like 
nothing had really happened. And I think if you or I were to analyze his situation, his upbringing, looking into it from an outside perspective, we would say, that's not normal. It's not normal to grow up with an abusive stepfather, an alcoholic stepfather who is abusive to your mother, abusive to you, where you at a young age have to grow up and and be the, the father of the household. We were to look into that, we'd say, absolutely. But if you know much about Bill Clinton, he lost a lot of trust with this because it was, again, widely known. Everybody knew that he grew up with a bad childhood. And so what happens is he, he puts on this, this facade so that you'll think of him one way, but in reality it was something totally different. And if you know much about the rest of his story, you know that his patterns of denial didn't stop there. His patterns of denial just continued throughout his presidency. And he lost all amounts of trust with all of his peers, with the voters, And it's easy this morning to point fingers at old Bill, right? Oh, man. Oh, we just love to do that. We love to point fingers at him. I can't believe he was a liar. He was terrible. Guess what? We all find ways to protect ourselves. We all find ways to say it really wasn't that bad. We all find ways to say, you know what? It was pretty normal. All of us are just like that. Do you know what past experiences have shaped who you are today? Good or bad? Do you know what past experiences have shaped who you are? I think at some point we all need to ask ourselves the the same exact question that Michael Scott asked Toby Flinderson when he asked him, why are you the way that you choose to be? I think we have to ask ourselves that question, why are we this way? It's so important for us to know where things went wrong. It's important for us to know where things took a different turn, where those experiences changed the the outcomes of who we are today. If we can't find where those wounds started, where those wounds uh, began, then it's very likely that we'll be unable to, to fix the real problem today. We have to know who we are. Know those experiences. St. Augustine says this. He says in his book, Confessions, some of you have read this. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are so far from your own self? He prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. So knowing ourselves, knowing what's really there, knowing what has power over us, knowing those past experiences that have shaped us, knowing why we are the way we are today, so that then we can connect to God and say, God, I need you to fix this. But if we don't know the source, we don't know where to start. Calvin also says this, he says, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts the knowledge of God, and of ourselves. So what we know about God and what we know about our own personal selves. But as these things are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. Meaning that the more that we know about ourselves, the more that we know about God. The connections and the things that we know about God, we start by knowing on ourselves and Likewise, the more that we know about God, the more that we know about ourselves. Flip back with me in Exodus, looking at verse 15. 
This is where it all starts. Verse 15. It says that Moses sits down by a well. And it's so important because in this moment, as Moses sits down at this well in this place called Midian, Moses starts to reflect on who he is and where he's been. It's important for him to do this. It's important for him, especially in this point, to analyze his family history, where it all started, where his genealogy. You see, we've got all, all of us, every single one of us, we've got family history that's unhealthy. I thought for sure that would get a, mm-hmm. I thought for sure that would get a, amen, if ever. We've all got family history that's unhealthy. Every single one of us, we've got family history that's unhealthy, expectations that were unhealthy, addictions that were unhealthy, lifestyles that were completely unhealthy, things that were said, things that weren't said, completely unhealthy. You see, in this moment, Moses is able to recall where it all started, able to recall his family tree. And you see, the Bible talks about generations and genealogies in ways that you or I don't quite understand. We skip the chapters over genealogy, right? We skip those chapters like, oh, it's just a bunch of names. But it's so important for us to understand, listen, the things that you might have going on in your life might not be necessarily your fault, but it might have started four or five generations ago. And I'm not letting you off the hook, but I am allowing you to understand that we have family histories and generational things that start a long time ago. These cycles that begin in our relationships and in our families, cycles of addictions, cycles of anger, cycles of depression, cycles of anxiety that started long before we even got here or were ever thought of. And listen, it, it doesn't matter how old you are. Whenever Moses sat down right here at this well, most historians and most experts would look at this and say that Moses is 40 years old whenever this happens. He's a 40-year-old man who doesn't know who he is. He's a 40-year-old man at this point that's never had a family. Never had a real family, that is, with real time and relationship. He spent a little bit of his time with the Hebrews, a uh, majority of his time with the Egyptians. And just whenever he's grown up, he's 40 years old, he's getting ready to go and live in a place called Midian. And if you know anything about the rest of Moses' story, you know that he doesn't even call this place home forever because Moses is a wanderer and a sojourner just about for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. And it started right here at this well where God does business with him. And at the well, some things start to change in him. In solitude, some things start to change in him. Because we see that he comes right out of this, and God starts answering some of those prayers, giving some of those heart's desires. And it says that he runs into... Uh, the seven daughters, and he runs into Raul. Raul gives him a daughter in Zipporah, and this becomes his wife, and he kind of settles down here in Midian for a good bit of time, and God is starting to answer some of those prayers. He's starting to have a real family in Zipporah, and he's starting to have a real family because God blesses him with a son named Gershom. But did you notice what he named his son? Did you notice that name? Gershom. I'd love to see you. Some of you like hipster Bible people, I'd love to see you name your son Gershom. 
Like, I, I just love to see that. Like, we don't get that tattooed or anything. Like, we don't even remember Moses' son named Gershom. We don't remember much about that, but it means I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And he doesn't just mean Midian, but he's reflecting over his whole life. He says that I've been a sojourner all of my days. I've never had a place to call home. Some of you feel like that this morning. I've never had a place to call home. Moses doesn't have a home. And for the very first time that we see in all the Bible, for the very first time we see it in in all of Moses' story, 40 years old, we see that Moses starts to begin to really understand who God's made him to be and what God has called him to do, who God has made him out to be. Here in this moment, whenever he gives his son this name Gershom, which means I have been a sojourner in a foreign land for the very first time in his life, Moses puts his finger on it and he calls it out. And he says, you know what? This is exactly who I am. This is exactly right. This is maybe my story that I've never had a home, that I am a sojourner, that maybe this is who God has made me to be. And he starts to accept his story a little bit. He's not maybe asking for more. He's not asking for less, but he's starting to accept what God gave him. He's starting to accept the past. He looks at it. He's no longer denying what happened, but for the very first time, he's seeing it, and he's saying to him that that it's starting to settle in. He's starting to settle in with, with what God has given him in life. And it's almost as if Moses is saying right here, this is who I am. And he becomes comfortable with his story. He becomes comfortable with his situation. He's no longer fighting what God gave him. He's accepted it. He's no longer living a lie. If Moses were to call his son any other name, something Egyptian, something Hebrew, something something profound in a genealogy to name him after his grandfather, it would have been a lie. You see, baby names have a, a real meaning. Um, last week, uh, we had baby dedication, and there were times where, where we lined all the babies up, and um, we got to maybe describe our babies a little bit, what we hope that they're like down the road, what we want them to be down the road. And uh, whenever it came time for my wife and I to, to name our son, what do we want to name him? What do we, what do we, what do we want him to be? And so we came up with this weird name, Maverick, because we want him to be somebody who challenges the status quo, who's not afraid to challenge him, not afraid to buck the system, maybe not afraid to, to, to not be that one that conforms to society, that in his day and age, 20, 25 years from now, he really is going to have to be different. He's going to have to be a traditionalist who, who's not afraid to live in the margins of society. We gave him that name because we wanted him to be different maverick and he is different he spits up on me all the time and it's like dude but whenever we did this it was such a sweet time because it it came 
uh, towards the end, one of our last families, they crushed this portion of the, of the baby dedication where they had really thought through and they gave them these super biblical names and names that they really wanted them to live out and to say, this is who I want you to be and this is the status that Moses sets up for the rest of his life and for his genealogy, he changes it. The stories change. No more confusion about identity. No more confusion about a home. Moses just names it right there. Names it on the spot by giving him this name, Gershom. You see, in this series, we've, we've talked a lot about, and we will continue to talk a lot about, solitude and sitting alone with God. Sitting there with Him, because in solitude, we learn to accept. Let me say that again. In solitude, when there's no distractions, and it's just you and God, and He's speaking to you clearly, and you hear His voice, and you're able to cry out to Him, and you're able to give Him all the frustrations, and you're able to tell Him where it went wrong, what hurt you, what happened in the past, what didn't happen, whenever it's just you and God, and there's no distractions, no barriers, no noise, no kids running around the house, no, no, no cell phones, no social media, when there's none of that, and you're just able to be honest before God, listen, we learn to accept what God has given us in this life. We learn to put our stamp on it and say, listen, this is who God has made me to be, and I'm going to be comfortable with it now. And listen, I understand that, that for some of you, this is, this is not easy. These are real wounds. And am I saying that we're just supposed to gloss over it and everything's fine and pretend nothing happens? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that whenever we turn off the noise, when we sit in solitude with God, we allow Him to address the situation. We allow Him to pinpoint directly where we went wrong, and we allow God to maybe for the very first time bring healing. It's in solitude. It's in solitude where this happens. It's in solitude where we get closer and closer to letting go of those things that hold us in bondage. It's in solitude where we become closer to letting go of the past mistakes that we've made. It's in solitude where we become a little bit closer to letting go of those pains and those wounds and those places where we were wronged. It's in solitude where we begin to maybe for the very first time accept our lot in life. I say, God, this is okay. Where I messed up, it's okay. Where this happened, it's okay. Where that didn't happen, it's okay. Where those words were said, where those wounds are, listen, it's okay. I'm going to allow you to bring healing. And this is what happens exactly to Moses. But it wasn't until after God dealt with Moses that he was able to let go and accept we're not able to do that here in the confines of worship. We're not able to do that here in the confines of even the preaching. You're not able to do that in missional community as much as we want to bring that. Listen, the best thing that I can possibly do for you as your pastor is to help you hear from God. That's all I got. The best possible thing that I can do as your pastor, as your friend, as the shepherd, 
is to convince you the best I can through preaching, through sweat, tears, and agonizing. The best thing that I can possibly do is convince you that the best thing that you can do for yourself is to sit with God every single day. And if I can't do anything else, and if our time here together as a church, working together as, as a body, as a family, as we become one, if I can't do anything else, the one thing that I want to do is allow you to hear from God for yourself Monday through Friday. Because when you allow God to to hear, whenever you allow God to work, whenever you allow God to, to sit and to take control of the situation, I promise you, He will. I promise you, He will. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Listen, let me, let me break that down again. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, you've been saved. We have an ultimate sacrifice. His name is Jesus Christ. He died. Now, what we are called to do is to become a living sacrifice, giving our lives up, saying it's no longer about me. It's no longer about my story. It's about the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. He says, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Listen, this verse right here, this, I've always loved it. I've always quoted it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your body to God so that it can be holy, so that God can use me. God, use me all the days of my life. It's yours. I've loved this verse. I've loved verse 1. God, use me. God, do this with my life. I'm ready. Do, 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 do this. The second verse there. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not allow your past to overtake you. Do not allow what happened to overtake you. Do not allow your family tree to overtake you. Do not allow what happened, what didn't happen to overtake you. Those words that were said, do not allow them to overtake you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be. Be. We're human beings, not human doings. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, whenever we're alone sitting with God, we are able to be transformed. Not conformed any longer to the world, but transformed. Transformation takes place at home. Transformation takes place in the quiet. Transformation takes place in your living room. Transformation takes place at your dinner table. And it's just you and God. Let's pray. Father, uh, I see, Lord, uh, 
so much of myself and Moses and his life. Not necessarily anger and rage and not necessarily having a home. I had a great home and great upbringing. And, but there were things in my life, Lord, that happened that never really came to fruition until I became an adult living on my own where circumstances just exposed the underbelly of who I really was. Whether it be, this morning, depression. Depression that started a long time ago that started with a specific event. Anxiety that started a long time ago with a specific event. Neglect. Finding our our worth and our value in who we are and in what we do. Lord, we we love you and we're following you, but we're following you with so much baggage that it's weighing us down. And we're doing our best. But these things continue to follow us around and We need a well-like moment where we sit alone with you in solitude. We need a well-like conversion transformation experience where we allow you to put those things to death. Lord, could it be God, that just like what you were getting ready to do in Egypt, that we still talk about today, but thousands of years later, it all started at the well in Moses' heart with solitude. There's somebody out there, there's something out there that you have called us to do. But it doesn't start with With any action, it starts with just sitting alone and quiet. Bring us to those moments. Jesus. So this morning, um, as we continue in prayer week and as we continue with an action step each week, um, if you'll see the prayer and reading guide, there's a specific step this week. And... um, pretty simple really it's um, it's don't try to fix anything I know you like to fix it gotta solve it gotta have the answers gotta have the solutions what's the point if we don't solve it what's the point if we don't have the answers the call this morning is very simple the call is just to allow God to love you to accept you for who you are. No matter what happened, no matter what didn't happen, no matter what mistakes were made, no matter what came out of your mouth, came out of somebody else's mouth this morning, the challenge this week, the challenge is pretty simple. Just allow God to love you, to accept you, without trying to fix anything at all. Let's do that together, family.